Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to the 2022 edition of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. A proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. In this episode 283, we visit with Roland Beckerman, author of Seeking Justice, a fictional story based on the author's real-life experience. This story involves a medical journey regarding a serious illness that led to a medical procedure and then a lawsuit about that procedure that ended up in a trial. The book guides the reader through the physical and mental challenges resulting from the patient's surgery and the ups and downs of his attempt to challenge the doctor in court. Roy Wiggins, a North Carolina judge, says this about the book. I was glued to the story after the first paragraph. I was truly inspired by Mr. Beckman's perseverance through overwhelming physical, emotional, and legal hurdles. Before we jump into the uninterrupted interview today, I'd like to thank you for being here. We are grateful for your presence and uh, really appreciate your time joining us here on the podcast. I'm your host, Landis Wade. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories. And if you run out of things to do one day, you can check me out at uh, LandisWade.com. Find out more about uh, me and uh, my writing. Speaking of writing, shameless plug here by the other sponsor of this podcast, which happens to be me. Uh, I have a novel coming out uh, in the spring of 2022. It's called Deadly Declarations. You can find out more about that at LandisWade.com. There's pre-order information there uh, for ebook and print book as well. For everything related to the podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. We've got show notes on each episode uh, with images and links. We've also got a community blog there. Uh, If you're a writer, you can submit there. We've got a lot of great content. And speaking of great content, we have a podcast newsletter called The Book Report. You can sign up at uh, charlottereaderspodcast.com and stay up with what's going on with the podcast. And if you're interested in what I'm doing with my writing, you can go to landisway.com and sign up for my author newsletter where I share information about my writing and upcoming novel, Deadly Declarations. Hey, we won't spam you because, frankly, that takes way too much time. One final part to consider, if you like audiobooks, check out Libro.fm, and if you sign up to get audiobooks from them, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, and you might get uh, something extra. But enough of this prologue. Let's get to today's episode. Roland, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. It's uh, it's been it's done very well so far. I'm very pleased. That's great. A bit yeah, surprised. <laughs> yeah, and I find people different ways. Uh, shout out to my friend Mark Massey if you're listening. Mark uh, suggested I give you uh, contact you about this. And uh, yes, yes, I know Mark. Yeah, uh, he and I were childhood buddies. Uh, and uh, so anyway, Roland, um, I find that you describe yourself as a Southern man who grew up learning right from wrong in a healthy family environment. Uh, so let's start off with the happy days there. Tell us a little bit about your early years and where you grew up and some of the lessons you learned at a young age. Well, I grew up in a little small town in North Carolina, and uh, I grew up with a, a complete uh, family unit, a mother, father, uh, loving family. Um, my father was um, somewhat successful in his what he was doing, and he, uh, he and my mother both supported me and a lot of things that I wanted to do. I grew up playing golf and playing drums and 
and uh, just, uh, you know, being a kid, but I was, uh, I was afforded a lot of, I guess you could say privileges and uh, opportunities is a better word, I think. Uh, but I, I took advantage of all of those and uh, had a wonderful childhood. Um, I can't say enough about growing up the way I did. It was simply um, a blessing. Yeah. And probably a good foundation for you, given what we're going to talk about uh, here in the book, Seeking Justice. Yes. Yeah. So this is, as I said at the outset of the show, a fictional account of some true-to-life experiences you had. Um, mm -hmm. Let's set the stage for this a little bit, Roland. Um, so what was your career, um, and how old were you when uh, things turned for you medically? Well, I've, I've done a few things, but let's zero in on what you just asked. Um, I was heavily involved in marketing and business development and um, did well, and um, did, did very well, actually. And um, I became ill and I kept thinking, you know, well, my schedule is crazy and I'm flying on airplanes all the time and various cities eating various foods, et cetera, et cetera. But I finally uh, did go to a doctor and uh, discovered that, that I had a, uh, I had a problem and uh, we actually tried to treat that problem for about two years and it became um I would, I would say, uh, I would use the word by definition, quite acute. And, uh, it was literally killing me. And, um, it got down to, uh, got down to the wire actually. Yeah. And so it got down to the wire. And as I, as I was reading the book, uh, I noticed, you know, you, you had a doctor that, uh, you sort of picked out that was going to do the surgery that you needed to do as a sort of a, you needed it, a life-saving kind of surgery. And yes, that doctor wasn't available. And so you had another doctor, perform the surgery. Um, That's true. How, how extensive was this surgery? Uh, um, it, what was it supposed to, what was supposed to happen when the surgery? Well, went? what was supposed to happen was they were going to do in medical terms, a complete colectomy. And that involves quite a bit, but what was supposed to have happened was I was going to do this complete colectomy and get rid of the diseased tissue. And, um, yeah, be in the hospital probably normally speaking about eh, maybe six, seven days, you know, uh, as if as today's on today's standards, it would probably be even less. But um, I ended up staying in the hospital for a month. Yeah. And then you began to find out that things didn't work out uh, like you thought because you didn't have some feeling in uh, one of your legs. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Actually, I had an epidural in. I was kind of out for like four days, uh, not two days, three days, but four full days. And uh, I can remember the anesthesiologist um, waking me up because I was out for four days, perfectly flat. And uh, anesthesiologist came in and was uh, removing the epidural and was explaining to me that I was waking up and all that kind of good stuff. And I literally lost four days there. And um, when the uh, he was through, he told me, he said, now you're going to start to get you know your feeling back. Because I had a complete block from the chest down. And um, he said, you're going to start to get feeling back. And when you do, they're going to manage your pain, you know, with meds and it's going to be fine. And, you know, but but you're going to start to get some discomfort pretty soon once the epidural was removed. Well, you know, the pain in my abdomen was one thing, but the pain in my right leg was was where the problem was. And that wasn't where the surgery was. It was uh, it was severe. And I kept I complained about it, complained about it really until I 
you know, was like yelling, like, you know, somebody get in here and do something about my leg. Nobody would really understand what I was trying to explain to them or why. Mm. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your decision eventually to pursue help in the legal world and that journey you, you went through. But uh, it's been a number of years since that happened. How are you doing today? Well, I, I still deal with what is considered neuropathic pain on my right leg from from right where it joins the joins the hip area all the way down to my ankle. And um, it's a burning, itching, aching pain. And it does have a range. It goes up and down. It never stays the same. Uh, it seems like the earlier part of the day is just a little less. And then as the day goes on, and, and like even in cold weather, cold weather is not my friend anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. Never has been. But uh, it, it does seem to bother me quite a bit. But I do not take any pain meds anymore. I did for years. And you just can't you just can't function and and do that. So I just deal with a little bit of pain. Yeah. And the character in the book of. Uh, uh, this is a story is your story is kind of based on, you know, has this effort to try to go back to work, stay in work, travel, be on a plane, even though, you know, you, you've got uh, trying to get your leg in place and hold it up. And, and eventually that took a toll, toll on you and you had to to pull away from that. Right. So you're not you're not working full time now. You, you got a disability. And yeah, uh, but you found what? Uh, career as a writer now, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, actually, I've been writing for years. I've done, yeah. never written a book, and I've not, I've never been a published author until now. And uh, I'm quite glad to say that uh, this is something that I've always enjoyed. But now that I've accomplished what I've accomplished in the literary world, I really don't see anything stopping me or keeping me from moving forward as I am have done and am doing at this time. You know, a lot of times people reinvent themselves, Roland, um, you know, because they're maybe they're a lawyer who decides like myself, hey, I'm going to retire and go start a podcast and write more. Right. But I had the choice there. You, you sort of had this thrust upon you. Um, how hard was that to say, OK, I'm going to pick myself back up and try something different? Well, um, one thing that has really helped me is. I am a musician and I've had that all my life. I've never done anything longer than be a musician in my life, except live. And that is something that I gravitated toward heavily when all this occurred, because it just, I had to do something. You can't just sit there. You'll, if, if you do, it's like a dead limb on a tree, you'll die, you'll fall off and it's the end of it, you know, and, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. Um, psychologically a very strong, mentally strong person. And I just know how to, you know, move forward and get things, uh, get things accomplished and make things happen. And that's what I've done for myself. I've made some things happen. Yeah. So, um, just like the character in the book, Seeking Justice, uh, you were also seeking justice. You had gotten, uh, some consults with some, some other, uh, doctors and, you know, knowing a little bit about the medical malpractice world, um, and also the legal malpractice world, mm -hmm. it takes an expert to say, uh, uh, you know, what the standard of care was that another expert was engaged in. And oftentimes doctors aren't, don't want to come forward and speak bad about, you know, other doctors. So originally, I suppose one of the challenges for you was finding someone who was going to look at this objectively, tell you what happened. 
and then be willing to say, okay, I'll come testify. It was a very long, difficult, and expensive process to go through that process. However, I was determined. And um, finally, finally, uh, right toward the end of the statutes of limitations, after I had spent an enormous amount of money with various attorneys in two or three different states, um, I got a phone call. And um, it was a very interesting phone call. It was an invitation to come to lunch, as it says in the book. And uh, and I did. And um, when I went to to that meeting, I was informed that there were there was a very a heavy hitter uh, that wanted to help me, uh, a surgeon that wanted to help me, a, a, an older surgeon. Matter of fact, he was head of a department. And um, I won't say where or who, but he was head of the uh, of a very prestigious surgical department. And I was like floored. I couldn't believe it. You know, so I immediately said, Hell yeah. You know, yes, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about this. And so right before the statutes ran out, we were able to actually file a case. And what, uh, by this time it had been several years since, uh, you know, you'd been, you'd had the procedure, you were going through a lot of pain, you're on medication. What was it that made you ultimately decide I'm going to file a medical malpractice lawsuit? Well, I kept I kept, it kept going over in my mind over and over and over the fact that, you know, uh, as sick as I was and, and I'll, I walked into a hospital, of course they always roll you out, but I was rolled out because I couldn't walk, you know, period. I just couldn't walk. Um, and it just, it just kind of started festering with me that this something's not right. And then I, I had a, I was going through a divorce. I started going through a divorce at that time, and which is another story. But um, one of the lawyers I was talking to um, told me that maybe you should have this looked at. It was my divorce lawyer. And I went, really? And then my neurologist, of whom I will not name, um, took me into his office, his not examining room, but his office. And we were talking. And he told me that I should have it looked into. And after a lawyer and a doctor told me this, then I thought, well, maybe I should. So that's how that, that's what got it all started. Yeah, we're not going to give away either for the protagonist or for you how it how it resolved itself in court. We'll get them to buy the book for that. But uh, please, right? <laughs> t- 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 tell tell us though um, from the time you made this de- <laughs> right yeah, from the time you made this decision to uh, you know to to pursue a, a lawsuit until the time the jury came back with its verdict. How many years went by? Oh wow! Um, well, we actually filed the lawsuit right toward the end of a three-year statutes of limitation. And you probably know about how that works. Um, It took right at three years to go through that process of from the day it was filed until we went to court. Yeah. And and of course I've, I've been in the legal world for, I was in 35 years. And so I know, I know what the process is, but oftentimes I know that clients when they come in, they don't have any idea 
you know, what's involved in the process. There's the depositions and the requests oh. for documents and the subpoenas and all. So were you surprised at uh, how long the process took and how long it took to just to get the case to trial? I wasn't surprised until the actual attorney or group of attorneys that that took me on and wanted to take me on because everybody else that just that I worked with seemed like it was um, a very simple process. But when the truth of the matter actually hit and I got into the big league, so to speak, um, then, I, well, first of all, I'm a fast learner. And I learned quickly that this is not going to happen in two months. This is not going to happen in two years. I'm going to have to be patient and I'm going to have to just sit back and let it unfold through all the depositions and all the everything, you know. Um, and once I, once I reconcile that in my mind, then it became like, okay, well, it's been a year. I've probably got another year or two. You know what I mean? I just kind of accepted it. Yeah. Well, you know, it is a lot to, to take in if you're a, a layman and you've never been through that process before. We we lawyers have to remember to explain, you know, these things to people about what they're getting into in a lawsuit. But uh, one of the things that I noticed from the book that I hadn't really thought too much about, um, the protagonist is, you know, ends up being shunned by friends and shunned by the medical community for bringing the case, um, even though there's, you know, support for the case, because the doctor in question, um, who did engage in a life-saving procedure for you. Yeah, and he's a uh, fine guy, you know, right, we, everybody right. makes mistakes, you know. Right, right. But he was well-known in the community. And Absolutely. It was if, it, in their mind, it was as if, okay, you know, this person's a leader in their church, in their community, they do great things, so they help me, you know, and you're going to file a lawsuit against them, well, you're not going to be my friend anymore. I'm going to turn my head. Did, <laughs> did that Did that happen to you? Yes. Yeah. Yes, did you, it did. How did you deal with that? Well, uh, I don't like to use old cliches, but I, I, I literally took it with a grain of salt. I figured that, you know, these people, these so-called friends of mine or associates or good associates or whatever, maybe they weren't quite as good of friends of mine as I perhaps thought, you know? So I just kind of took it as, took it for what it was, you know, and, uh, and just moved on. All right. Well, on Charlotte Rear's podcast, we, we let authors give voice to the written words. You've selected, I think, uh, paragraphs from different parts of the book. Uh, I don't know if you need to sort of set up where, where you are in the book before each one, you're, you're welcome to do that, but uh, I'm going to turn it over to you and let you take it away. I'm ready. Um, you told me to do that. So I fo also follow instructions. Well, <laughs> <laughs> okay. He said, Oh, he can do it, but I would just feel better about Dr. Calabria because this is his specialty, but don't concern yourself, Roland. Dr. Larson is a great surgeon and I'm sure everything will be just fine. Right before he said that was when he told me that he said, Roland, you're dying. He said, uh, you're not going to last but a couple more days unless we do this and we have to do it now. And this Dr. Calabria was the actual specialist that was out of town that he wanted. But he, Dr. Calabria couldn't get me in because until Friday and this was whatever day it was, uh, but it was a couple of days away and I didn't have a couple of days. So I just said, 
Let's move on. I'm going to go to the next little reading here. Page 123, I'm going to read the second full paragraph, which is slightly longer. I sort of shrugged my shoulders and said, yes, he did. He just muttered some words. And what I got was that probably wasn't a good idea. Then he asked me again if I had signed anything or were any suits actually filed. My answer again was no. He didn't volunteer this information, but the only thing I have signed were some Damn checks, a lot of them. We ended the meeting, and again, he told me to send him my records, medical records, and he would take a hard look at all of it, and perhaps someone else would take a look at it. At that point, I stopped him and I asked, What is this going to cost? Uh, that was when a big league lawyer contacted me and said, he knew a surgeon that has been has been looking at this and wanted to help me. So that's how that began. Uh, on page 251, we're kind of moving right along here. This paragraph is the beginning of chapter 19, uh, and it's about the same length as the previous uh, paragraph, and I'll be through. We were now just inside of starting on a six-year journey. Uh, this postponed date was fast approached, was fast approaching now for our day in court. I did make one more visit to the offices of Wentworth and Wentworth prior to our date, just to recap all we prepared for a few short months ago. This meeting was upbeat and everyone was very positive about our expected outcome of winning the case in court. It seemed at one time we were going to get a settlement, which would have been great, but uh, and, 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 and saved us all a lot of time and money, of course. Uh, but it just didn't happen. Here we were, about to embark on entering the courtroom. I must say, even though we had an extra 90 days to prepare, I was still very anxious about being in a courtroom with a jury and a judge all new to me. Yeah, and that's that's true, Roland. Um very few lawyers actually get to court these days, given the percentage of cases that settle. And so that means even fewer uh, individuals who are not lawyers uh, get to court. And when they do, it's uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, maybe a little anxiety, like you're going to the dentist or something. Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd rather have gone to the dentist. Believe <laughs> exactly. me. Exactly. I have no problem with that. <laughs> at least they give you Novocaine for that. They right. can't, it's it's nothing, painless. It, it is. Uh, so, um, you know, Talking about this uh, journey you took, and and you do go into detail in the courtroom scenes, and and you talk about the lead up, you talk about the mediation you took place where you tried to yeah. resolve the case, and that's also new to people sometimes. I was a mediator when I practiced, uh, you know, where parties go in and they try to yeah. resolve matters. Uh, that didn't go well with you because one side was beating their chest, and you know, y'all were trying to resolve it too, but. Uh, we're not going to give away the how things turn out at the end, but uh, no, no. J j just some of the lessons uh, that you took away from this process. Um, you know, would you do it again? Uh, absolutely, I would do it again. Um, one lesson that I, one big takeaway from this, and this is what prompted me for so many years to want to write this book and begin this journey. But I feel that I have an obligation to educate people 
And the book is very educational. And we'll talk about this in a moment, but books moving forward will be even more educational of a continuance of book one. But I really feel that my journey now and my message is very strong and very clear. I want to educate people on how medicine and legal matters intersect because they do every day somewhere in this country, in this world, in hospitals. It happens every day. And I want to, uh, I just want to educate people like that. I want people to know that, that, you know, these doctors are great people. They're wonderful, great, educated, bright men, women, whatever. But, you know, we all run stop signs. And when we do, we have to, we have to be accountable, especially if we run that stop sign. If we run the stop sign, nothing happens, no harm, no foul. Everybody's happy. Everything's fine. You run that stop sign, all of a sudden you hit a car and you harm someone. Well, who's responsible? The guy that didn't run the stop sign or the guy that ran the stop sign? It's pretty damn clear, you know? I want to educate people and get people to understand that these things do happen. And doctors are just like you and I and everybody else walking around. That's just what they do for their living. That's their job. Whereas I had a different job. Doctors have their jobs. Lawyers have their jobs. School teachers. Everybody's got a job to do. And you need to be held accountable when you make a mistake. It's just that simple. Yeah. And interesting enough, though, the the, the stakes uh, probably for, you know, the doctor whose reputation is on the line may be a little bit higher than you know, the, the one-off car accident, I think people can understand better. Someone, you know, might have a distracted moment and they run a stop sign, terrible, Absolutely. terrible situation. But, you know, when you, when you apply it to your career and your medical profession, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely an incentive uh, not to be proven to be a bad doctor. Right. That's and right. so, and so a medical malpractice suit could, could lead to something like that. Most of them end up getting resolved. Uh, a lot of times anyway, and then they really or, do or thrown out of court or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, the, those are, you know, definitely you've already described a couple of obstacles. What, what would you say was the biggest obstacle for you going through this process? I think the biggest obstacle was to actually make up my mind to try to <laughs> seek justice in my case. That was the biggest hurdle and biggest thing that I had to reconcile in my mind. Am I doing the right thing? Well, it was right for me. So it was the right thing. Yeah, and I see that on the, the cover of your book, I mean, great title, Seeking Justice, uh, Courtroom Drama in a Medical Malpractice Setting. Uh, you've combined the legal uh, and the medical because you've got uh, – Looks like it could be a courthouse uh, arch there with the with the columns, and then you got uh, the judge's seat, uh, yep. and and then you got somebody that appears like they're in the operating room. Yep. Uh, you know, writing a book sometimes, Roland, can be a little bit like uh, you know taking a journey <laughs> in terms of years, like you took in in this. Uh, how long was the right? As we shift here a little bit to the writing discussion. How long did this process take for you to unfold to get to the end of the first book? Once I started, um, I think it's my nature that when I start something, I finish it. 
and uh, I know how to focus on a couple of things at a time, but I also know how to focus on what I want to accomplish. And um, once I started the book, um, I was done with the manuscript in four months. But now I had some 10-hour days, many 10-hour days, because, um, you know, that's what I do is I sit in my office and where I'm sitting right now and and I, I get stuff done. That's, 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 this is where I work, you know. But uh, it took me about four months start to finish. But now I didn't start it and do research and this and that. I mean, you know, I had the research already done. You know, I've been working on the research mentally in my mind for years. And uh, so I finally just woke up one day and said, okay, today's the day. And during the process, I started looking at uh, uh, looking for publishing companies. And I went through, I, I, I would say that I landed 12 and then I narrowed it down to nine. Then I narrowed it down to six. Then I narrowed it down to three and then I narrowed it down to one. And uh, I'm glad that I narrowed it down the way I did because I'm very happy and satisfied with, uh, with my publishing company. I work very well with them and they work well with me. So it's a good, it's a good partnership. Yeah. And just, and just to be clear, because people know, you know how hard it is to pitch and submit to traditional publishers. I understand you went to sort of a hybrid route where you were investigating, uh, doing a publishing arrangement with a, with a kind of a hybrid publisher. Is that yes. right? Yes, yeah. exactly. And through that process, you learned that, uh, there's one end of the spectrum where it's purely vanity publishing, where they, they just want to take your money and they'll yep. put out there whatever you write. Right. And, then, and then the other end where they might help you with, uh, you know, basically some editing and some formatting. And, oh, and yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, kind of it takes, um, it takes a, almost eight months from start to finish. Once, once they accept your manuscript, it'll take about eight months because you go through a uh, – um, a process of editing the manuscript first. Uh, well, first of all, I, I've got a, a uh, um, publishing director that I deal with. She's like the uh, liaison. And that way I don't have to deal with eight people on the editing team. And I don't have to deal with uh, 10 people on the page layout team. And I don't have to deal with six people on the cover design team. I deal with her. And she's the liaison, which makes it so much better. And But I am impressed. I was very impressed with their process. They're extremely professional. Um, and I have nothing but praise for my publisher. Yeah, well, that's, that's great that you found a, a publisher that can be a, a partner with you. Now, Roland, I would say in line here with this editing process, you know, some people can take uh, criticism when it comes to editing better than others. And you, you're a strong individual. You kind of grew up telling other people how to do certain things. That's how right. Did, <laughs> how did you respond when they sent it back and said, you're going to have to fix this and fix that and edit this and edit that? Well, I kind of, I look at it like this. When I'm sick, I go to a doctor and listen to him. And by the way, doctors are all fine people. There's nothing about this book or in this book or even in my mind about anything negative about doctors, period. But if I got a legal problem, I'm going to come see Landis Way, you know, <laughs> and I'm going to listen to you. <laughs> so right. let's let's leave it at that, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. and, and if you got an editing problem, you're going to listen to your editor. That's right? exactly that's what I'm saying. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I looked at it like, you know, these people make a living doing this. I don't, you know, 
So I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to do what the hell they asked me to do. And you know what? Uh, it worked out great. Yeah. But I was very impressed, especially impressed with the uh, editing process because it was all color coded. It was, oh, it was line itemed. I mean, it was, I mean, a, a, a fifth grader could have understood it. You know, I That's mean, it great. was just, it was wonderful uh, to do that. I will say this, the cover design of the book, um, that is 100% my design. Uh, the picture at the top happens to be the Supreme Court building in D.C. And I pulled all the other photos together. I told them how I wanted, wanted it faded down to the color code, code number, everything. And the cover was done on the first take. And they were like, the publishing company was like surprised. Like, this really never happens, but it did happen. But you know, I've designed food labels, I've designed other things, and I designed my own damn life for that matter. You know, I know how to make things work. So I was yeah. proud of that. Yeah, and that's the other advantage of being either your own uh, independent published author or a hybrid published author. You have input on what yes. the uh, cover is going to look like. So uh, as we wrap up here, tell us a little bit about uh, how you take this one book of your story through this medical journey and turning it into a book two and a book three. What else is there to tell, Roland? Well, thank you for asking. I'm, I was hoping you would say that or ask that. Um, this the, the first book, the, the success of the first book led me to believe that there's more in my mind that needs to come out about this particular subject that I'm writing about. And I have taken the character of Atticus Wentworth and I am now focusing on Atticus Wentworth and his career. And book two starts out when Atticus was a, like a senior in high school and goes through all of his, 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 uh, his, the good things he did, the failures, all this good stuff. But it goes through his college years and through law school and through first few years of being uh being a, an independent attorney he did he elected not to go with the big firms you know he he elected to be do it on his own and uh that's where this book is uh, was came from and there's a, a another character in there and that character happens to be Roland J Beckerman me <laughs> okay so i created i created this guy you know in the first mm -hmm. book but this guy has spilled over into the second book. And he's also in book three that I'm working on now and we'll be in four and five. I don't know how many I'm going to do, but it's going to be, it's going to be more than four or five, I'm sure, you know, but I don't, I don't know how many yet, but the character of Roland J. Beckerman takes on a, a Paul Drake type thing with Perry Mason. Um, I, I become psychologically involved um, in, in Atticus Wentworth's, firm and his career, but I don't really get heavily involved until book three is when I really, really jump in there and become actually a part of the firm. And I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> it's well, some really it's fiction. You can write anything you want, you know, but I've got a wonderful imagination. I always have had. Yeah. Well, you know, some, some nice things come out of uh, bad situations. You yes, turn, they do. You, you and I'm turn, thankful for that 
turn something into something positive there. Well, Roland, we're, our time is up, but I want to uh, I want to thank you for. Uh, I want to thank you being on Charlotte's podcast and listeners. You can find out more about seeking justice, uh, courtroom drama, and a medical malpractice setting at charlotterspodcast.com. We'll have uh, Roland's image there and links and so forth. And also check out the guest list. You'll find him there with a link. And uh, of course, you can listen wherever you find your podcast. Uh, Roland, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.